Jason and his wife Cheryl were on Dave Ramsey's podcast and they were giving their debt-free scream. They had paid off their cars, they had paid off their home, and now they had come into his studio to give a shout out that they had paid off all of their debts and uh, they count down three, two, one, we're debt-free. But Dave asked, what's your backstory? And so Cheryl began to share her story. She said, the amazing thing about my life is that 17 years ago, I was a, a cocaine addict and homeless. She said, it finally came down to the, the very guttermost part and worst uh, part of my life when I was arrested. And she said, when I got arrested, she realized, I wasn't raised like this. My, my parents raised me better than this. What, what am I doing with my life? I have a college degree. What is going on with me? And she had one of those prodigal son kind of moments where she finally came to her senses. And as she came to her senses, she called her mom and told her mom that she wanted to get her life right, get back, and that she wanted to go to rehab. And her mom gave her a sentence that since that time I listened to this a week and a half ago has just been etched on my mind. Her mom told her this, commitment is a decision that doesn't have any exit plans. Commitment is a decision that doesn't have any exit plans. And I, I thought about how, how cheap and, and insignificant the word commitment can be in our day. People commit and then, you know, uh, they're going the other direction and other way. They don't hold on to their commitment. There are commitments that people make to, to live and to act. And, but most of all, at one point, probably most of us in our life made a commitment to Jesus Christ. I mean, we received salvation, but there was a time when we said, Lord, we want you to lead and guide and direct every aspect of my life. Some of you have been at camp as a teenager, and sometime at camp when, when the pastor preached and you heard the word, you thought, man, I want to be all in as a teenager. Some of you have, have heard messages or, or you've opened God's word and thought, man, I want to be all in. And yet somewhere along the line, there's, there's kind of been an, an exit of distraction. I mean, you're here at church this morning, so, so you're, you're, you're coming to church, but you know down deep in your heart that that, that wholehearted, fully devoted commitment to Jesus just isn't where it used to be. What we need is a fresh experience with God. And that's exactly what happens in Isaiah chapter 6. So take your Bibles this morning and turn me to Isaiah 6. And we're going to pick up again this week. We, uh, we're in Isaiah 6. Last week, we're, this will be our last message in Isaiah 6. But we're going to read down through verse 8, beginning in verse number 1. In the year that King Uzziah died, I saw the Lord sitting on a throne, high and lifted up. And the train of his robe filled the temple. Above it stood seraphim. Each one had six wings. With two he covered his face. With two he covered his feet. And with two he flew. And one cried to another and said, Holy, holy, holy is the Lord of hosts. The whole earth is full of his glory. And the posts of the door were shaken by the voices of him who cried out. And the house was filled with smoke. So I said, 
Woe is me, for I am undone, because I am a man of unclean lips and dwell in the midst of a people of unclean lips. For my eyes have seen the King, the Lord of hosts. Then one of the seraphim flew flew to me, having in his hand a live coal, which he had taken with the tongs from the altar. And he touched my mouth with it and said, Behold, this has touched your lips. Your iniquity is taken away and your sin purged. Also, I heard the voice of the Lord saying, Whom shall I send and who will go for us? And I said, Here am I, send me. And with that, let's pray. Father, as we open this amazing chapter again, God, would you speak to us today? May we see how great and awesome and wonderful you are. May we freshly experience the blessed gift of grace that you, that you give. And then, Lord, may we respond with an open, submissive, available heart. God, speak. Give us ears to hear. In your name, amen. As we come to Isaiah 6, we looked last week that Isaiah writes in the, key, in the year that King Uzziah died. King Uzziah reigned on the throne for 52 years. During that time, Israel experienced a lot of prosperity. Their agriculture grew, their business grew. There was great economic flourishing and, and the world was a great place. Now you have to look and think for a man who has ruled 52 years, for most of the people in the nation, they only knew one king and that was Uzziah. Now the king has died. There are days of uncertainty and insecurity as not, as they do not know what to anticipate in the future. And yet at this time of their need in in uncertainty and insecurity, they see, Isaiah gets to see the Lord on the throne. That's a great reminder for us today. That though politicians will come and go, and for Isaiah in this day, King Uzziah is dead, but God is very much alive. That King Uzziah is in the tomb, but the Lord still is on the throne. So as believers, we have to grasp that. We have to say, I know the Lord is on the throne. I believe the Lord is on the throne, and I'm going to live like he is on the throne. As believers, we have a calm sense of blessed assurance because the Lord is on the throne and sovereignly he's moving in his universe. We're part of his kingdom. We're his. We're going to be okay. The Lord is on the throne. But then as we come to this passage here and we extend it out just a little further, we find that Isaiah, as he sees the greatness of God and as he experiences the grace of God, as this angel brings a hot coal from the altar and touches his mouth, then he is motivated to go and do whatever God wants him to do. So there's a great truth for us that the greatness of God and the grace of God should motivate us to go for God. And that's exactly what we see in Isaiah 6. 
that Isaiah sees the greatness of God. He experiences the grace of God. And as God does a work before him, and as God does a work in him, then he's willing to say, God, I'm willing to go for you and ultimately to go with you. So as we think about that, I want us to think about three and, and take three challenges really to heart today as we look at Isaiah 6. First off, we need to see the greatness of God and experience conviction. We need to see the greatness of God and experience conviction. Isaiah sees the Lord. He sees that God is great. So he sees the greatness of God. He sees God's greatness right before him. I mean, he sees God on the throne. He is on the throne. He is high and lifted up. The train of his robe fills the temple. If you look down just a, a few verses, as he says, woe is me, I'm undone. Uh, you know, I'm a man of unclean lips. And then he says, for I have seen the king, the Lord of hosts. He sees the greatness of who God is. He is the Lord of hosts. The whole earth is full of the glory of God. He has seen the mightiness and the great strength and awesome presence of God has been experienced in his life in a way that he has never experienced before. And God has, he, God has shown himself in a way he's never seen before. Now listen. Isaiah had seen the king. King Uzziah, he'd been on the throne for 52 years. But now he says, my eyes have seen the king. I mean, the king, king. Not, not a guy who's going to rule and reign for a little while. But I have seen the king, the one who sits on an eternal throne. And from everlasting to everlasting, he is God. He has seen and had the, the curtain pulled back to see the greatness of God. But not only does he see God's greatness, but also he gets a glimpse of his sinfulness. Now, notice with me. The, the, the picture is, is, as you see God's greatness, you not only see God's greatness, but you see your sinfulness. As he saw how great God was and, and at this awesome moment, notice with me in verse number five. So I said, woe is me, for I am undone, because I am a man of unclean lips, and I dwell in the midst of a people of unclean lips. My eyes have seen the king. You know, as you look at the Lord of hosts, He's sitting on a throne. He's high and lifted up. There was one phrase the angels repeated. Holy, holy, holy is the Lord. And when he saw the holiness of God, that's when he says, woe is me. Oh, man, I have, I have seen and had a glimpse of the greatness of God. Yes, but now I've not only seen the greatness of God, I've seen the holiness of God, that he dwells in inapproachable light, that he is absolutely pure and he is untarnished and unstained by all the sins that are around him. I have seen the God in which there is no sin and the God in which he does not even have a capability to tempt us. I have seen the holiness of God and as he saw the holiness of God, then that pointed back. It's interesting 
from Isaiah chapter 1 and, and verse number 2, it, it introduces in verse 1, and then Isaiah begins to quote the words of the Lord in Isaiah 1, 2, all the way through chapter 5. This is the first time Isaiah personally speaks. He has only just shared what God has told him to share. This is the first time that Isaiah on his own speaks. And notice his first word. Woe. Woe is me. As he has seen the holiness of God, woe is me. You know, sometimes we can look around at other Christians and we can kind of think, you know, I'm doing as good as they are. I, I only slip up here or I'm, I'm, I only dabble here and, and I'm not that bad compared to everybody else. And yet Isaiah at this moment sees the holiness of God and he cries out, woe is me for I am undone. I am destroyed. I am to be cut off. You can't see God in his holiness and live is his thought. But I love the way the ESV translates this. Woe is me for I am lost. That's a good translation in the sense that he feels separated from God. Can I tell you the truth that Isaiah experienced on this day is a, is a truth that every one of us have to face? That we have to experience conviction of our sin. See, Jesus didn't come just to give us a good life. Jesus didn't come just to boost our self-esteem. Jesus didn't come just to give us purpose. The truth of the matter is, is that Jesus came because we are sinners. And too many times we don't point out the fact that people desperately need Jesus because of their sinfulness. It's not just so they have a better life and can make more money and be a good husband and be a good wife and, and be a good citizen. No, the truth of the matter is, is we need Jesus because we are separated from a holy God because of our sin. And that's what Isaiah sees at this moment. He says, woe is me, I am lost, I am undone. And then he goes immediately to his mouth and says, for I'm a man of unclean lips, and I dwell among a people of unclean lips. I, I've wondered, why, why did he go directly to his mouth? Could it be that he heard the crying of the angels saying, holy, holy, holy? And he thought it from his own mouth. Man, I can't proclaim holiness like that. That doesn't sound like my worship coming from these lips. Or could it be that... The truth of Jesus in Matthew chapter 12, verse number 34 was ringing out in his life where it says, for out of the abundance of the heart, the mouth speaks. In other words, unclean tongue because I have an unclean heart. The picture is, is Isaiah realizes he doesn't worship like those angels worship, that his voice doesn't sound like them and his heart doesn't look like it should look. Then he says, not only am I dwelling, or not only am I a man of unclean lips, but I dwell among a people of unclean lips. He looks at not just personal sin, but he looks at the national sin and says, and you know what? Everybody else around me is in the same boat. Unclean lips, unclean heart. They don't worship like that. When we were kids, we used to sing you know the song, oh, be careful, oh, be careful, little eyes what you see and little ears what you hear, little hands what you do, little mouth what you say. 
Could it be at that moment that Isaiah looks along uh, the, the landscape of his nation, of Israel, God's chosen people who were supposed to be holy and separated to God, and says, I'm looking at a people of unclean heart. See your sinfulness. Can I tell you, every one of you in here, I, I don't maybe know a lot about you, but I do know this, that each and every one of us have committed enough sin, as in one sin or more, that has disqualified us from entering into a perfect heaven where there is a perfect God who's sitting on a perfect throne. And the angels cry, holy, holy, holy. We are convicted as guilty under the in the presence of God sitting on a throne. But guess what? That's not where this ends. God does not leave Isaiah here at this moment. Not only does he see God's greatness and experience conviction, the next thing that we find is, is that, that we have to receive God's grace and experience a new life. And that's exactly what happens in Isaiah chapter 6, verse number 6. Receive God's grace. Get a new life. Be made new. It says, Then one of the seraphim flew to me, having in his hand a live coal, which he had taken with the tongs from the altar. And he touched my mouth with it, with it and said, Behold, this has touched your lips. Now notice what it says here. Your iniquity, that's a word for sin, is taken away and your sin purged or atoned or covered. What is the Lord saying? Well, first off, he has an angel go to the altar. This is a place where the sacrifices were laid. You remember, in the Old Testament, people brought sacrifices to the temple to worship. Now, over the last few weeks, I've been outside trying to greet everybody. And, man, I'm thrilled that people are here. But I've never seen anyone carry in a bull or a goat or a lamb. No, nobody's carried any of that in. Why not? Because this is just a foreshadowing. As he goes to the altar where the Old Testament priest would make sacrifices for sin without the, without the shedding of blood, there's no remission or forgiveness, no covering for sin. But the Bible tells us in the New Testament that Jesus Christ, when he was on the cross in John 19.30, declared, Tetelestai, it is finished. In other words, he was the perfect sacrifice. We don't need an altar with a burned animal and a sacrificed animal anymore because we have Jesus, the perfect sacrifice. And in Hebrews chapter 10 and verse number 12, it tells us that by one offering this high priest has made, and now he is able to sit down. The high priest, when they were on duty, never sat down. Day after day, continually making sacrifices for sin, continually offering sin on behalf of the people. Then Jesus shows up and Hebrews pictures him as the great high priest and as the sacrifice. As the high priest offering the sacrifice of himself to telestai, it is finished, the sacrifice is complete, and no longer do we bring sacrifices to church because Jesus paid the penalty for our sin. 
And when he paid the penalty for our sin, just as the Lord told Isaiah, hey, your iniquity is going to be taken away. Your sin is going to be atoned for or covered. We need to understand when we receive Jesus in our life, we are forgiven and given a new life. But here's what hinders people. Here's what hinders people from serving the Lord fully. Here's what hinders people from serving the Lord fully and joyfully and abundantly with a sense of abandon. Here it is. Sometimes people refuse to forgive and move on. They keep thinking, man, but you don't know what I did back here. You don't understand how bad I've been. You don't understand the sins that I've, I've done and the, the, how I've hurt people. So I want to give you some verses this morning on forgiveness. We're going to move through them quickly. But if you, if you struggle in the aspect of saying, man, I am forgiven. I'm a new creature in Christ. If every time you begin to work for God, the devil who's the accuser of the brethren comes and brings something back up from your past, then you need to write these verses Verses down. We're going to move through quickly. Psalm 103, verse number 12. It tells us that God separates our sin as far as the east is from the west. In Isaiah 1, 18, Come, let us reason together, says the Lord, that though your sins be as scarlet, they shall be white as snow. Though they be red like crimson, they shall be as wool. Isaiah 38, 17, King Hezekiah says, You've cast my sin behind your back. Isaiah 43, 25 says that he blots out our sin and he will not remember them. Jeremiah 31, 34 tells us that he will forgive our iniquity and remember them no more. And in Micah 7, 19, it says that he cast all of our sins into the depths of the deepest sea. Now, these are Old Testament verses, but get the picture in your mind. Everything that I've ever done wrong, God separates it as far as the east is from the west. God takes the scarlet, dirty stains of my life and makes them as white as snow. He casts them behind his back. He blots them out and won't remember them. He forgives them and will remember them no more. He casts them into the depths of the sea. That's the picture. But then we move to the New Testament. And in Matthew Chapter 1 and verse number 21, his name will be called Jesus, for he will save his people from their sin. Matthew 26, verse number 28, as we look at uh, Jesus, as he celebrates that, that last supper with his disciples, and he, he says, hey, this cup is the blood of the new covenant, which was shed for many for the remission, for the forgiveness of sin. In John 1, 29, John the Baptist says, Behold the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. Ephesians 1, 7, In Him we have redemption through His blood. The forgiveness of sin. Colossians 2, 13. You need to, to look this verse up, and it tells us this, because this is the key thought here, that He has forgiven us all our trespasses. Listen, all means past all means present, all means future. He's forgiven us all of our sin. First John 1, 7 says, if we walk in the light as he is in the light, we have fellowship one with another and the blood of Jesus Christ, his son, 
cleanses us from all sin. And in 1 John 1, 9 says, if we confess our sin, he is faithful and just to forgive our sin and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. Listen, we as believers need to see ourselves dressed in robes of righteousness that the Lord imputes to us as he forgives us of sin, puts on us a robe of righteousness, and we walk forward and we walk into a world knowing I'm completely forgiven in him. That when the devil brings up the past, I don't have to do anything except go back to the cross and say, it was already paid for in full. That's the picture. And in case you need one more verse, Revelation chapter one, verse number five. I love this verse halfway through it. To him who loved us and washed us from our sin in his own blood. I'm telling you, I stand here clean, not because of my goodness, not because of my righteousness. The only thing I brought to the table before the Lord was just sin. But the Lord showed mercy in not giving what I, uh, not giving me what I deserved. And then he showed grace in giving me something I didn't deserve. That is absolute forgiveness and fellowship, a relationship with him. Hey, Isaiah has seen the greatness of God. Now Isaiah receives the grace of God. He says, Isaiah, clean slate. Second Corinthians 5, 17 says that if we're in Christ, behold, we are a new creation, a new creature. So then, listen, once we see how great our God is, once we experience the awesomeness of grace that he gives us, then we have this new sense of motivation in our heart. Notice with me again back in Isaiah chapter 6 and pick up with me in verse number 8. The end of verse 7, he says, Your iniquity taken away, your sin covered, purged, atoned for. Then notice verse 8. Also I heard the voice of the Lord saying, Whom shall I send and who will go for us? Then I said, Here am I, send me. Third challenge. Hear God's call and step up to obey. Once I've seen his greatness, once I've experienced his grace, there's that voice. Who will go for us? And that's our time to say, God, because of your greatness and being on the throne, God, because of the grace that you've given to me, The answer, Lord, is yes. Lord, the answer is yes. You know what the Lord wants from your life? The same thing he wanted from Isaiah's life. Will you be available? Will you be available? The Lord says, man, who will I send? Who will go for us? And Isaiah says, here I am. Send me. Lord, I'm available. I find it amazing. I, I, I find it amazing. I find it astound, uh, 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 astonishing at times that someone could say that they have experienced and been in worship and seen the greatness of God and they know that they have experienced salvation and the grace of God and then not care and not live like it. Pastor Jerry and I have done enough funerals 
where people tell us things like this. You know, I know for the last 40 years he hasn't lived for Jesus and done anything. But back when he was in the fourth grade, we found an old baptismal certificate. So we're relying on something. Men, can I, can I challenge you with something? Don't leave any doubt for your kids and for your grandkids. Don't leave any doubt for your, your neighbors and your church family. Don't leave any doubt. Live it. Be available. Say, man, I, God, I know, I know I've experienced your grace. And so, Lord, because you have, out of your greatness and grace, have put your hand down on me, Lord, I'm willing to go. And, and Lord, when I get afraid, because you call me to do something uncomfortable, Lord, at that moment, I'll remember you're the Lord sitting on a throne. Be available. But not only should we be available, but can I tell you, we have to be faithful. Oftentimes when we think about missions in this passage, we, we stop at verse number eight, you know, and, and the guy gives the invitation, says, you know, who will go to, you know, the mission field, who go to the neighborhoods and the nations and all those kinds of things. If you read the end of Isaiah chapter 6, you find out that Isaiah's not going to a fruitful place. He's going to a really hard place. And so the call is, is in my obedience, I have to be faithful. Notice with me in Isaiah chapter 6 and verse number 9. And he said, go and tell this people, keep on hearing but do not understand. Keep on seeing but do not perceive. Make the heart of the people dull and their ears heavy and shut their eyes and they see with their eyes and hear with their ears and understand with their heart and return and be healed. He's saying, you're going to go to people who have ears and who have eyes and who have minds, but they're going to say, no, we've hardened our heart to the Lord and now our ears are just getting heavier. Our eyes are getting more dim. Our heart is growing more distant. And that's exactly the calling of Isaiah is to say, look, you're going to go to a difficult people who because you go to them are going to See less, hear less, and get a harder heart than they had when you started. But Isaiah, I'm not looking for you to be a, a, a person who's going to speak on the circuit and have this awesome ministry and you're going to write books and, and go speak all these places. I'm calling you to be faithful. Be faithful. That's what I'm calling you to do. Be faithful no matter what. Be faithful. You witness to your neighbor and they make fun. Be faithful. You live for Jesus at work and they tease. Be faithful. You stand up for Christ and, and you find that there the, the nips and the jabs come at you. Be faithful. The call of our life is to be faithful. And I just have to believe this is, this is a personal conviction. I just have to believe that there are missionaries who will see f very few, uh, conversions and very little, quote, fruit in their life. And there will be people who have ministered back behind the scenes, who have been faithful and invested their life. And I just have, I, I just, I just believe that when it comes time for rewards, theirs are going to be ganged up a whole lot higher than some of us who are preaching every week. I believe that. Why? Because God calls us to be faithful. Be faithful. Be faithful. 
faithful. He did give Isaiah some hope. He did say, Isaiah, as you go, it's not going to be all lost. Notice Isaiah says, Lord, how long, in verse number 11, Lord, how long do I have to go to these people? And the Lord says, until I bring judgment. But then notice at the end, verse number 12, or verse number 13, yet a tenth will be in it. He's talking about those who will uh, really be open, receive the Lord, and they will return and, and be for consuming as a terebinth tree or as an, as an oak whose stump remains when it is cut down. So the holy seed will be at stump. You know what he says? There's going to be a, a tenth. There'll be a small remnant. When you chop down a tree, there's a holy, there's a stump. There's a stump. That stump's going to remain. That's going to be that remnant of people who stay faithful to the end. They're a holy seed. You may not see a lot, but you're going to see something. Some lives are going to be open. Some people are going to be touched. Some are going to be changed. But the call is be faithful. So until there's revival or until there's judgment, your call is to be faithful. Did you get that? Until there's, until Jesus comes and until there's judgment, until there's absolute revival and everyone comes, you're called to be faithful. Until you step into eternity, your call is to be faithful. And that's the challenge of Isaiah. He's called to be faithful. That's sharing Jesus in the power of the Spirit, leaving the results to God. You may not know a lady named uh, Gail Blair. She, last year in 2019, was at a park in Rhode Island, and she was passing out small copies of the Gospel of John. And she was, she's blind. She's 63 years old. She's blind. And, and she's trying to strike up conversations and tell people about Jesus and then give them just a small copy of the Gospel of John. And she was told last year, Leave this park. You're suspended from this park for two years for sharing. Can I tell you, there's coming a day in our country. We talk about Jesus coming and then the tribulation starting. Listen, it's going to get a whole lot worse, I believe. And it's going to get a whole lot more challenging for believers in this time. And the call of our life is just as the disciples in, in Acts, when they were told, we don't want you to preach the gospel anymore. They say, we answer to a higher authority, and we must share the name of Jesus. Be faithful. When it comes down to it, your life is about pleasing one. Your life's about pleasing one. Just one. Just one. Just one. And that's the one who is on a throne, high and lifted up, and the train of his robe fills the temple. Your job is to please one. So be faithful. Be faithful. Be faithful. And with that, let's pray. God, thank you for uh, the truth of your word. Lord, just how uh, I've been challenged over these last two weeks. God, speak. Lord, even as we step into this time, uh, may our hearts be stilled and may we know that you're God, that you're on the throne. And Lord, I pray for men and women and students to be available today. I pray, Lord, that because we've seen your greatness and we experienced your grace, that we would just be motivated to go. Lord, whatever that means, across the street, across the sea, to our neighbors, to the nations, 
May we be willing. In the name of Jesus, we pray. Amen.